This mix of opera and city traffic is what we heard as we walked toward Teatro Reggio, Torino's famed opera house. Built in 1740, yet 283 years later, Tommaso and I were the lucky recipients to hear this as we turned the corner in the beautiful city of Torino. And that was three weeks ago, and yet now we're back, ready to roll. Benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy. It was one of those moments where there aren't a lot of tourists around and you feel like you've caught a moment of history. Mi chiamo Kimberly Holcomb. E tu? Mi chiamo Tommaso Fabuloso. <laughs> Is that getting old, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> if so, send me a private message and I'll drop it. <laughs> Anyway, welcome to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast on our love of all things Italian. This is episode 121, 121. We are back home on our little island after a three-week road trip in Belle Italia. And we recorded episode 119 while we were in Tuscany, and we gave a brief summary of our time in Torino up to that point and promised more detail on this fabulous city. So that's what we're going to share with you today. But first, we want to let you know that every single Italian that we spoke to on our road trip told us how busy they've been for the last two years due to revenge tourism, as it's been called. They're very grateful for the business, of course, after COVID, but they all basically had the same underlying message. And they just kept saying it's so ridiculously crowded from June through September. And they just wish that people could visit during the shoulder season. Shoulder season. Or the off-season months. That's what travel professionals like myself call it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I don't know where this new cockiness came from, but carry on. So as a matter of fact, I read an article just today in Forbes magazine. And the tagline is, barbarians inside the gates and the amount of tourists to italy this year rose by 15 percent, which is 7.7 you know almost 8 million visitors more than last year and as we've mentioned before they're estimating by the time 2023 is over 68 to 70 million tourists will have visited the small country of italy it just those numbers are mind-blowing well Tourism is Italy's largest industry, and since climate change is making the year-round temperature warmer, meaning the tourist season has started earlier and it now ends later. And the gist of this article that Tommaso read, he sent it to me and I read it as well, the gist was that despite the slog of tourists, as he called it, the cuisine and the wine is as good as ever. Yes, it was. (laughs) And that is something everyone can agree on. Like all the clients I had in Italy this summer, June, July, August, September, they all said the same thing. Oh, you were right. It was so crowded. However, the dinner we had in Rome at blah, blah, blah was amazing. So everyone walks away from it happy. But then again, like a friend said to me yesterday, she told me about her one month long trip all over Italy. And she said, I will never, ever go again in the summer. She was there in August and September. So there you have it. But Italy is not alone 
with mass tourism, even Thailand. What'd you tell me? They're closing beaches. They're closing beaches because of over-tourism. Yet Italy continues to be the most beloved country for so many reasons, including the cuisine, as we just mentioned, but also the friendliness, the hospitality of these people that are so proud of their history. So I realize I have suggested this before, but I'll say it one more time. If you can, if you are able to travel in the shoulder season or the off season, do so because I promise you it is infinitely better. One last quick thing and then we'll carry on. For example, we were in one of the greatest hits, as we call it. We refer to Florence, Rome, and Venice as the greatest hits because that's where most people go. Most of my clients always want to go there. And so we were in Firenze, Florence, from October 10th through the 14th, only four days, four nights, and it was packed and it was baking hot. It was hot. We have a different perception of yes, baking I hot. Yes, I was incredibly hot <laughs> yes. every minute. I was just sort of hot. <laughs> Yet everywhere else we went besides Florence was fine. Totally fine in terms of the amount of tourists. Hey, basta. Enough said about that. Let's carry on to Torino. Allora. It was Tommaso's first trip there. And? I'm a fan. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I loved it. Right. I had not been in years, but while I lived in Milano, I traveled there quite a bit for fashion shoots. And I just always, you know, left there thinking it was kind of like Milano, just a working city. Nice. I liked it. But this trip made me realize it has its own personality as well. And we did. We really loved it. Yes. One of the things we noticed the most was the architecture. Without even like really talking about it out loud, we realized that most of the buildings were about five or six stories high, and a lot of them were very uniform in design, mostly in these piazzas. And these piazzas, some of them were incredibly large, very monumental feeling. I have a video I took of a few at night, and I just kept going and going, and you think, well, that's a large piazza. Well, the first night where we had dinner, which we'll yes. go over, that was in the largest piazza, I think, that I, don't, I saw I there. don't think it's quite the largest, Vittorio Veneto, but we'll get into that. I use the word mimicking. These buildings in the larger piazzas mimic each other. So as you stood in the middle of, let's say, Piazza Vittorio Veneto, as we just mentioned, we'll use that as an example. We stood in the middle that first night, so the buildings to the east, the buildings to the west. They mirrored each they other. They mirrored each other. That's a better word. Everything was the same. The amount of windows, the window placements, the porticos, the amount of balconies. It was very interesting to to notice that, thinking that took a lot of engineering, city planning, well-thought-out process in the day. And here it stands all these hundreds and hundreds of years later, and it was to me, it was like regal. It was impressive. Well, it was. And that type of architecture, neoclassical architecture that is prevalent over there, it's just when you can just imagine, well, Napoleon, right? Mm -hmm. He was in there. You can imagine Napoleon on his horse and carriage or on his horse coming up the middle of that and everyone sort of bowing down on both sides. I mean, it was, it, it's absolute majestic. It truly is. 
The other major difference we noticed was there weren't too many tourists. There were not simile. Yeah. There were some, of course, but nothing like Roma, Firenze, Venezia. And actually, it felt like we were just walking around a city that was doing its thing, everyone going to work, living life in a city not overrun with tourism. And again, this was the very beginning of October. However, I will add that a taxi driver told me that it had been a pretty busy summer with tourists from all over the world, yet he said, all of a sudden, one day in September, they're like, gone, Gone. just disappeared. I was like, well, I'm glad it's October and we're here. And something that really stuck out to both of us were the amount of booksellers and book vendors under the arcades lining both sides. I mean, it's university town, so you're going to have a fair amount of people studying and buying things. But each time we walk from Piazza Vittorio Veneto north to the Piazza Castello, the east side of the street had so many booksellers who opened their wooden kiosks and set up their books by subject or genre. There's some people only fiction, people were into history. There was just one entire, I don't know if kiosk is the right word, but those, you know, stalls, like there a were wooden stalls. book stall. And the nice thing, wait, let me just... Hold on, I was going to say, oh, go ahead. one gentleman just had Italian poetry. Right. It was stunning. And the thing I found really interesting about it is that you could have basically used a nail file and a toothpick and broken into any one of those at night. I know. <laughs> right? They weren't particularly... There was maybe a lock on it. There was, oh, there were locks, but, you know, it's like, eh, okay. But people respect the booksellers. They're there, and they're not going to be broken into. And they, they, they just were energetic and emphatic when they were talking about the books to a potential customer. Well, that was my point in that Every time we walked by, because that was kind of our main thoroughfare to get everywhere in the city from where we were staying, every time we chose to walk on the East Side Arcade because it had more bookshops, Mm -hmm. more booksellers, and every time, which was at least three, four times a day, there were Italians perusing the books, speaking with the proprietors, just they're engaged in their longstanding history of literature, they read books, they buy them, they trade them. It's It made us really happy because, to be honest, in America, we have basically this huge chain called Barnes & Noble, which is a bookstore, started as a small little bookstore, but it's a massive business now. And they sell all kinds of things, even music, calendars. Starbucks. And most of them have a <laughs> Starbucks inside And there are small booksellers, thank goodness, in New York City and some larger cities, maybe some small towns, but not many, Right, not like Italy. There were bookstores everywhere we went in Pisa. Well, we'll get on to that, but... But, we, but but let me let me just frame what these bookstores looked like. You can post one of the images on, or I'll post it on social media, or I'll let you post it on yours. But the fact is, they're probably eight or ten feet long and five feet deep, with some shelves and a bunch of books laid out. And these people were passionate about whatever genre they were selling. Correct. And just like Bologna, they're under these arcades. So rain or snow, you can right. still be perusing your books. Right. And just a quick side note, I was looking at my photos before I came up. As we walked past those little book kiosks, for lack of a better word, book stalls, we took a right into this opening of this beautiful, large interior 
courtyard and staircase. And we're like, mm, what is this? It's part of the University of Torino. And we walked around that majestic place with all those staircases. I I did a video of Tommaso's signature move of <laughs> waving. I'll post that as well. So we pass all these bookstalls. We walk into the University of Torino, one of their buildings, which housed their library. We didn't get to see that because we weren't students. But I think that was an underlying source of happiness during our trip in Torino, seeing all these books and the love of literature. And that was just one of the many things we really enjoyed. It reminded me of when I was in college and we would go to Havigyad over in Cambridge. (laughs) That's a Boston accent, in case you guys are wondering. Havigyad. But it was it was just um, Harvard Square has lost its sort of academic magic, I'll say. And you felt the academic magic in Torino at that time. Harvard Square has become, you know, you don't have out-of-town books in the middle, out-of-town magazines. It's become sort of uh, retail central. Correct. Anyway, here we go. All right. We'll carry on with this theme for one more minute and let you know that we did go into the Biblioteca of Palazzo Reale. Biblioteca means library. And it was beautiful, not quite as magnificent as the one in Bologna, but each are unique. And it wasn't quite as large as we expected, at least the part that was open to the public. Only the students were allowed in the rest of the library. But it did have this beautiful arched ceiling throughout Endless wooden bookshelves. And the wood floors. Wood floors, parquet wood floors, very beautiful. And what was our favorite? When we left, there was a small room that we didn't notice when we entered because they were, you know, at our back when we walked into the library. But when we exited, we saw the original wooden cabinets and those wooden drawers that held the index cards, which make up their classification system. Every index card was written by hand in Italian in beautiful penmanship. It looked like someone who taught penmanship. Exactly. Like the nuns that were to whack my hands. And Tommaso opened several of the doors and I'm taking pictures and I thought, wait, we shouldn't be doing this. These are ancient. But then I looked, there was no sign that said, no sign. No. Non toccare. Well, they were index touch. cards, so they weren't from like 1612. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was awesome. The other library that we wanted to visit was called the Biblioteca Nazionale. Yet sadly for us, they were filming a movie in this piazza where the library is and another large, magnificent, imposing and beautiful building is. So the actors were in period costume, I think, of like 19th century. There were horses and carriages. So it was really fun to look and just... Sadly for us, it prevented our visit to the library. I must say you said one thing when you saw them. They must be hot. Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot. I'm like, oh, look at their clothes and the top hats and everything. Poor guys. And the the women with their like hoop skirts. Yes. Yeah. And the horses were hot. They were stunning. All black horses. Mm -hmm. All right. Carrying on. Before we carry on, can we talk about the cuisine of Torino? Oh, why? And because <laughs> it was that unbelievable first night where we sat down and had that wonderful pesto with tagliatelle in this 
magnificent square. I will and say. And we were the earliest people to eat, by the well, way. okay. We've flown in that day, so. Right. I will say, I think that might be the best tagliatelle with pesto I've ever had. How's that? All right. So a quick summary. Um, I had read several articles by food writers, food critics. Anytime I go to a place that I haven't been in a while, if I don't have an Italian friend to recommend something there, I dig deep and I read articles by food writers. So two different articles I read by two different writers mention this one particular ristorante in Piazza Vittorio Veneto. And one of them, one of the writers referred to this place as, quote, it kept calling my name. <laughs> so I thought that sounds good to me. So before we even left for Italy, I made a reservation for 7.30 p.m., which is unheard of. Which is like a late lunch sometimes exactly. in Italy. Exactly. But we had just flown into Milano that day, rented a car, driven to Torino. And I just assumed, you know, from experience, you just want an early-ish dinner, go to bed early, and the next day you are good to go if you stay up the whole day. So that was the plan. And we walked toward this piazza. And since it was so warm, every single ristorante had all their tables and chairs outside in the piazza. And it was kind of intriguing as we walked up there. We're like, if this piazza was full of diners right now, there would be like 10,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> it's a large, large piazza. So we get to the place and there was no one, no one seated outside at these tables. Here come the elderly people. <laughs> However, the little place right next door to it, because they all abut each other, their tables and chairs. You can only distinguish the difference by the... A tablecloth or, or, or the, the chair. Exactly. So next door were maybe 30 or 40 people seated, but as I looked at their tables, they just were having aperitivo hour. Aperol spritz, gin et tonica. Anyway, so then this woman came up and I said... Abbiamo un prenotazione, and she smiles, and she's like, oh, yes, you foreigners, 7.30. Here's a table right there in front. Right there in front, <laughs> close, close to the kitchen. But let me just say, the other restaurant that was to our left side, our port side, it had LED lights on the tables. It looked better, so I was sort of scratching my head going, hmm. Should we eat there? Should we eat there? But no, I was sticking to my guts and those writers, so, and on top of it, we were hungry, and I'm believing these writers. So we sat down. <laughs> and La Capa spoke. Uh-huh. And by the time we got our second main dish, every single table was taken. At our restaurant. With only locals. You know, yes. people come with their kids. Yes. And all oh, Italians. We, ha we had that family next to us with like three kids, like high school age maybe, and the parents, and they basically all ate the same thing. They, they did. They, they did. barely spoke. They were so into it. All they really spoke was compliments. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, but um, it was really, really delicious, right? What was your appetizer? My appetizer was a thinly sliced veal with All right. a sauce that had was made of mayonnaise and capers and lemon and on top of it. And it was one of those sort of roll your eyes moments like, I think I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> and let's not forget the vino. Well, all right, let me share that. I ordered a bottle of Barolo because we like to... When in Rome. Yes, exactly. We like to drink regional wines wherever we are. And Piemonte is famoso 
for Barolo. So I ordered a bottle which was more expensive than what I normally spend in Italy. There's no reason, in my opinion, to spend a ton of money on a bottle of wine, even in a restaurant. But I did because I just did. (laughs) (laughs) It had the DOCG designation, designation, et cetera. So I ordered it. We took a sip. We just looked at each other like, oh, Dio mio. And then as we slowly drank the bottle, we thought, why can't we find the same quality, amazing wine in America in a restaurant for that same price? Well, there there you go. We can find it. But not the same price. But it's 150 bucks. At least. Probably 100 in the store to buy. Exactly. So then came our primi, which was the tagliatelle we mentioned with pesto. And gently placed on top, were two zucchini flowers. Not that lightly fried zucchini flower that I love so much. Just the plain, raw, freshly picked zucchini flower. And I looked over at Tommaso thinking, I know he's never eaten a whole entire big flower and wonder if he's going to do it. Well, let's just and say- And you did. I, I did, but we never order the same thing because I'm usually- The meat eater. The meat eater. <laughs> but the fact is, I also love pesto. Right. And when I- when it's it came, I was, there's an old saying, I think I mentioned it before, don't ever eat anything you wouldn't paint. Correct. And the presentation was fabulous. Yes, it was beautiful. And I ate the zucchini flowers. I know. They were like candy. Really, really tasty. I'm still recovering. From eating a flower? <laughs> Give me <laughs> a break. <laughs> All right. Since we're chatting about our meals, let, let's do the second night really quickly, Okay. We had our hotel make a reservation for a place that was on their list of suggested ristorante and also was in in one of the articles that I had read. So she made us a reservation. We got there and the problem was the interior, which was very tasteful and hip looking, they were completely full inside. So they sat us outside on a, the street right next to a construction barrier. It literally had like chain link fencing and whatever. And then the little osteria across the street was playing some rather annoying music. And the traffic was sliding yes, through. And so we just looked at each other and we're like, nah. So I politely excused ourselves from the waiter and said we were leaving solely due to the music. He's like, va bene. Okay. He was fine. And so we just started walking with no plan in place, except then Tommaso suggested. We walk across the river, across the bridge. Which we had done the night before. Because whenever I go to a place in Italy, as we plan to move there eventually, (laughs) um, I immediately start looking at real estate if I like the place. And I started looking at real estate. And when you look down that big piazza that we were on, up the hill, that hill was, you know, the first hill outside of Torino, and that's where a lot of wonderful real estate is. So I figured, Residential type residential. apartment. So I figured, wonderful real estate, wonderful restaurants, let's go across that bridge. So we did, and we just kept walking up the street until we found a very crowded outdoor restaurant filled with Italians. And there was one table left, so I went up and did my, you know, best smile and said, can we possibly have that table? And the man's like, Certo. So we sat down and he came over, no menu, nothing. He just came over with this huge smile and he literally said, Serviamo pizza e carne. 
pasta. And that means we serve pizza and meat. And that's it. And we just stared at him and we're like, Tommaso was in heaven. Yeah, the combination <laughs> of meat on a pizza. I didn't even think of that. And I was like, all right. And I kind of laughed to myself thinking out of all my years in Italy, I have never been told at a restaurant, we serve meat or pizza. And so I thought that was funny. And I kid you not when I say that this was the best pizza I have had outside of Napoli. Truly, didn't you? It was the best pizza you've ever had in your life. I've never been to Napoli, so yes. Exactly. So I had grilled vegetables on mine. Tommaso had prosciutto on his. And we also, of course, had another bottle of Barolo because, you know, why not? When in Rome. <laughs> it was such a fantastic night and it was like serendipitous. You know, we found this place. We were surrounded by Italians, a couple dogs, that cute little golden lab type dog that wanted our pizza crust mm -hmm. and lively music that was like a good chill vibe. The whole the whole place had a great Great vibe and delicious pizza. What was the thing you asked the waiter about? He had a beard and his parents. Oh, yes. I said, <laughs> can, can I just tell you that your beard is very impressive? I mean, it was like a black hole. It was so thick and so big. And he said, oh, thank you. I just recently cut it and my parents are like blessing themselves still. <laughs> it was trimmed, I should it say. It was trimmed, yeah. It had gone down to like his chest. His chest. It was pretty impressive. It and I'm sure he could grow it in about six hours. <laughs> All right. And so finally, the last night's dinner, we were in Torino, three nights. The last night's dinner cost all of 18 euro for two panini and two beers that I bought at the Salumeria that we noticed on the very first night while we were walking around. I actually put a picture on Instagram of it because even though I don't eat meat, the decor was so unique and cool and the all the salami hanging. So the reason I bought that dinner to go is because Tommaso had caught a brutal cold on the plane or wherever else. So he made it the first two full days in Torino. The third day he was out. He was down and out in the hotel room the whole day, but that was not a hardship. No, not at all. That room was beautiful. Super the, comfortable bed. Yeah, lovely bathrooms, everything. So I brought him dinner that night and it was delicious. Sadly, Tommaso missed one of the best experiences I've ever had in all my travels, which was simply due to being in this galleria, this hallway at a place called La Venaria. And we mentioned it in our previous episode on Torino. And I finally, finally got to go there. I was very sad that Tommaso didn't make it. But when it's a big, huge place, totally recommend going. There's a lot of history there. They renovated it. It took eight years and they explain how they renovated it. And everything about it is really, really well done. And it's mostly the history of the Savoy family and the Dukes of the Kingdom, etc. But my main goal was to see this galleria, this hallway in person for the first time because I had only seen photos of it while I lived in Milano. And it was one of those places that has stayed in my brain as that is a 
lifelong dream to go see this place and to be in it. And I was. The only thing I had, the only hiccup there was that I had to wait for two young women who fancied themselves as influencers of what? I have no idea. (laughs) But they had on similar white dresses and they just kept filming themselves twirling in circles, doing little dances, whatever. They were not paying attention to anything about this space, the history. They didn't care. They just knew it made for a great backdrop. So I finally, that we couldn't speak the same language at all. And I finally just, you know, did hand motions and begged, please, can I have some pictures to myself? So they understood and they were polite about it. And they kind of hid behind one of these columns. So I got a lot of photos and then they did more of their little TikTok dancing and then they finally left and then I had it to myself and I, it, there's perspective involved and all these arched windows and design. I, I was beside myself with happiness. I did a couple um, videos, 360 videos. I mean, you could have looked at me and thought the same, but I was actually capturing the place, the yes. architecture, yes. the design, not myself. And I had this place literally to myself for like almost 10 minutes. And then I saw these two men coming and I put my camera, my you know, phone my down, camera, my phone, phone and I walked, up, I walked up to them and I said, it's all yours. And they were two Australian men and you know, they're, you can do their accent, but they're like, thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Sheila. Yes, exactly. They were so nice. I said, it's yours. And I left through the other way. And then I went out into the gardens, which are magical. The entire experience just made me so happy. And I will post one of these videos on Instagram tomorrow when this episode launches so you can better understand why I was so happy to have this space alone. And that that, um, photograph you took, which the, the arches down the side and all the tiles in perspective was a classics before i went to school for architecture before i majored in architecture i majored in theater design lighting and set design and man that was a was a class in perspective exactly so um actually we don't have time to go into the other fabulous places we went to in torino or explain more of la vanaria but i will say if you have an interest in architecture or design la vanaria definitely should be on your list and if you want it to yourself you'll have better odds of having that in the off season so i think we uh we will let's see what our future episodes hold and maybe we can come back to torino because we truly truly enjoyed our time there it was only three days but man we packed in a lot and it's worth another visit for sure i could easily go back Tom's probably been looking at apartment sales. Yes, I have. As a matter of fact, it's one of the places. All right. Please, please share the Amore and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you listen there. Or Spotify if you listen there. Are they allowing reviews now? Yes. Just ratings. Just ratings. And you can also send us a message what you think on Spotify. All right. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, which Tommaso does for me. And everything's the same name. Kimberly's Italy, Molto Facile. Very easy. E basta, amici. 
We'll be back next week as usual. Alrighty. Grazie mille. Ciao, ciao. Bravo. You pronounce grazie mille pretty perfecto. I just got back from Italy. <laughs> I'd have to be a real <laughs> dunce not to pick it up. <laughs> okay. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.